Tutors provide private, personal, specific training when a student or someone in life is kind of struggling with the subject. Uh, tutors are important because when you're not, when you don't have success in something, you need a tutor who will come and privately show you how to find success. They know what you need to make it work. Some of you have tutors for kids, or you went through a tutor yourself in education. Here's, the, here's what happens for us. We're fallen human beings. We're ensnared in sin. We've been failing the school of life pretty miserably. What Proverbs presents to us is that we have been given a tutor to help us succeed in life. So I have called this message, our first one in Proverbs, our tutor for success. Our tutor for success. And we're going to meet her tonight. She's called in scripture, Lady Wisdom. She's going to help us find success in life. Not success as we define it. Many humans are doing great at reaching success as they define it. But not many are doing great at reaching success as God defines success. But Lady Wisdom is going to coach us each step of the way. Each wrong brush stroke. No, no, this is how you do it, Brandon. So we're going to, tonight we're beginning the series, The College of Christ. It's going to take us through October. Um, it's going to be in three parts because we have the three wisdom books in the Old Testament. So Proverbs is primary school. And we're going, as you see there, the, the subtitle, Primary School of Lady Wisdom. So this is like part one of our long series. It's like almost what? It's like five months maybe? I didn't do the math, but it's like about five months. Uh, primary School of Lady Wisdom. When we hit Ecclesiastes, we will then enter the university with Professor Vanity. And then we will finish with Job the Sage, who will teach us maturity. Suffering, patient Job. He is the ultimate teacher. We have to work our way to him. I know you've been reading Job, so you are going to be my coach. <laughs> Michelle's been reading Job for some time. All right, but tonight, Proverbs 1, uh, it's going to... We're going to look at it, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at what wisdom is. We have to learn wisdom according to the Bible. Um, why do we need this wisdom? Why do we need this book? And how do we attain this wisdom? That's our plan. So, biblical wisdom. What is wisdom? So, we'll start with the nerdy stuff. The Hebrew word for wisdom is hakma, And it refers to mastery, skill, or expertise. Sometimes we think of wisdom as a quality of thinking, but in the scriptures, wisdom is more than a quality of thinking. It's also a skill for living. Put it like this. In Exodus 31, it's the first time chokmah comes up in scripture. Remember, chokmah is wisdom. First time it shows up in scripture is in Exodus 31. This is when God had laid out the plans for the tabernacle. And then he says to Moses, see, I have called Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Okay, God laid out the blueprint for the tabernacle, but what he did is he chose a couple, Bezalel being one of them, to have this artistic and skilled ability to work with the materials brought for the tabernacle to give it and infuse it some artistic flair. And you know how God describes it? He describes it as chokmah. You don't read that in English. It doesn't say wisdom anywhere there. But the Hebrew word was right there when God said, I'm going to fill him with my spirit and this, with ability and intelligence. That's chokmah. God is giving Bezalel wisdom to design and beautify the tabernacle. Does Richard have wisdom in leading worship? Does Pastor Brandon, don't answer that loud, have wisdom in teaching the scriptures? <laughs> and do our doctors and physicians who do their job well, Guy Jacobuzzi, does he have wisdom in the human mouth? We hope so. I, I name all these and they're up to public debate now. But yes, we all hope all these have chokmah. So, so chokmah, wisdom, is not just this intellectual ability. That's how we often think of wisdom. Um, but it's also a living skill. 
in Proverbs chapter 8, which we'll obviously get to in a couple weeks here, or more like a few weeks, um, but their wisdom is described as being the workman alongside God, workwoman alongside God, creating the world. So in other words, God founds the earth, the universe, on wisdom, and it's as if chokmah is this thread woven through creation. So the wise are those who can find that thread and they follow that thread through life. The fool is the one who says, I'm going to go my own way. And what ends up happening is the tapestry, tapestry begins to unravel in a fool's life. But the wise follow the, the woof and wharf, is that the right? Of, of creation and life. Some, are, some people don't have no clue what that is. They're like, what is he just saying? So therefore, <laughs> wisdom is woven into the fabric of God's creation. And so wisdom is, this is how I define it. Wisdom is following the grain of God's world. It's following the grain of God's world. Now, when you go against the grain, what happens? You get a splinter. And that's the fool's life. The fool lives splintered because the fool lives against the grain of God's world. So what Lady Wisdom will do as our tutor is she will show us the grain of God's world. This is how everything moves because this is how I was woven into creation. So move with me and then we will find success in God's eyes. But the fool is going to ignore her. The fool is not going to care about the grain of creation and going to go his own way. So that's the best, I think, like the visual way to, to have the concept of wisdom and foolishness. Now, wisdom in the Bible is very different than wisdom in the world. Conventional wisdom aims at self-improvement. It aims at self-improvement because we understand the entire human race, whether they admit this consciously or not, we all know that we're in a fallen state and that we are limited. We're limited human beings. And so conventional worldly wisdom seeks to improve the self, to rise above our limitations. This is why we exalt technology in our nation unlike anything else. Because this is the ability to rise above our limitations. We put all our faith and trust in science and technology and the gurus at Silicon Valley um, because we want to rise above our limitations. We want to see how far we can go in our fallenness so that we can reach this ideal, this utopia. We want to escape the mundane and reach this man-made utopia. It's the Tower of Babel all over. That's what's behind folly and well, we would call worldly wisdom, folly. That's worldly wisdom. Biblical wisdom is centered on God's reality, but conventional wisdom is centered on human identity. We live in a world that wants to have reality be redefined to fit our concept of reality, which is driven by our concept of who we are. So culture's wisdom teaches us to conform reality to our version, but God's teaching us to conform ourselves to what reality actually is. Um, the Proverbs call this, call trying to stretch and bend reality to my way. It calls that folly, and in, you'll see this in a couple weeks. Proverbs 3.7 it warns us, don't be wise in your own eyes. Boy, does our nation need to hear that. All right, so now let's look at the book of Proverbs. I'll give you guys a quick sketch. It's actually a very, very simple book when you outline it. Some books are complicated, like Paul's letters. You've got like this rhetorical outline, and it's like, here is the exordium, and here is the uh, narratio, and here is like, it's like you, you can really outline those things. Proverbs is super simple. Chapters 1 through 9 is part 1. Chapters 1 through 9 are 10 lectures from a father to his son. And interwoven in, as if it's like the creation itself, interwoven within these ten lectures are four poems about lady wisdom. So ten lectures from father to son, ten lessons from father to son. Um, also, you'll see, of course, because uh, the Bible back then had a lot of, talked about father-son a lot, but the mother's very much involved, and therefore we'd assume the daughters too. Um, ten lessons, and then wisdom's voice is interwoven in there. Then chapters 10 to 31, part two, the last part of the book, is the Proverbs proper, 
where you get a bunch of basically two-line sayings. And these are the wisdom sayings. These are what the Proverbs are. Um, and they're scattered. They're, they're, okay, so usually when people teach the Proverbs, because I did a lot of thinking about how to teach Proverbs to you guys, usually what happens is people will go through the, the lessons from father to son, and then they will go to the second half, the Proverbs themselves, and organize them according to topic. Here's what the Proverbs have to say about money, about marriage, about your workplace, about your words. But here's the thing. A couple commentators I read made a really interesting point. They said, but the Proverbs weren't written that way. They weren't written, chapter 13 is on money, chapter 14 is on sex. Well, there is actually a section on sex, but it wasn't compartmentalized. And the point is, because life is not compartmentalized. We don't have life that easy. Oh, I'm dealing with this. We rarely have that clarity. Life comes at us in random bursts. Sometimes you're dealing with money. Sometimes you're dealing with a fool. Sometimes you're dealing with your words. Sometimes you're dealing with your feelings. And it comes at us in bursts. And so do the Proverbs. So I decided that we will, when we hit the Proverbs part, we're just going to go through the chapters. And we're going to take the subjects as they come, rather than um, structuring, we're going to do this week on money and so forth. So just a heads up there. Now, you might be thinking, what even is a proverb? Well, a proverb is a short sentence founded on long experience. So why Solomon and the other contributors of Proverbs have this great experience and they condense it to a sentence for us? So in other words, it's like this. The world tells you to go live and learn. The Proverbs tell you to learn and live. Did you catch that? The world says, go live and learn. Go have an experience. But the Bible says, no, no, first we're going to learn, then we're going to live. Think of it like this. What if the Wright brothers... When they created the airplane back in 1903, what if they had no idea if their craft would actually fly? And they took off in that thing and they crashed and burned and they died. That wouldn't be very smart. What if, well, we shouldn't talk about Boeing because I guess they do do this. But what if other plane companies just launch things in the sky without knowing if they work? I mean, we see in Boeing what happens, right? Tragedy. We, a couple hundred, few hundred people died Wait, time's moving fast with COVID. What was that? It was pre-COVID, so it was like a couple years ago. What if you lived your life that way? Well, many people do. The Proverbs are trying to say, wait, listen to Lady Wisdom before you fly so that you know what makes you crash and what makes you fly. You don't have to crash and burn to get wisdom. You can get wisdom by knowing wisdom. Um, okay. All right, so let's do this. Proverbs chapter 1. Oh, last thing about Proverbs. Um, it should be said, and I'll remind you guys of this too. Proverbs are trends, not promises. They're trends, not promises. What I mean by that is, A proverb is not always going to come true. What the Proverbs are telling you is if you live your life on this path, on this trajectory, you will find success. Now, when you look at a graph and it goes up and down, you know, like a company's income, it goes, oh, we're doing great. Oh, no, we're not doing great. Oh, we're doing great. We're not doing great. The roller coaster graph, right? Um, That's life. You go up and down. But if you took the trend of that, what is, what's the general from A to B? What line does that draw? Well, it might be a flat line. It might be going down or it might be going up. The trend, that's what the Proverbs are doing is they're showing you, okay, yeah, sometimes you're going to choose the way of wisdom and it's going to not be very good for you because the world's not very nice to you. But sometimes you're going to choose the way of wisdom and you're going to succeed. But in the if you choose to stick with wisdom, you will find the trajectory of your life. The trend will always be upward. That's the idea of the Proverbs. So they're not promises. It's not like, well, if I do, it's not, see, it's not the thing. This is not, this is not a hack book for hacking life. Oh, now I've got it figured out. No, nope, it's just a path. Yep, you're going to stumble every now and then. You're going to roll your ankle. There's going to be a serpent that wasn't supposed to be there in the middle of the path. There's going to be traffic on the 91. But 
It's going to get you where you want to go. Okay, so Proverbs chapter 1. So chapter 1, three sections. Verses 1 through 7 is the introduction. It's going to tell us what this book is about. Then we're going to hear the father's first lesson to his son. That's going to be verses 8 to 19. And then the third and final section will be our tutor, Lady Wisdom herself, is going to introduce herself to us. So the introduction introduction in chapter 1 goes like this. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now you might remember what did Solomon ask for as he was ascending the throne. He asked God for wisdom. God gave it to him. And First Kings chronicles some of his wisdom. And now we have, of course, this book Proverbs, which is a collection of mostly his sayings. A couple of others make appearances. Verse 2. Now we see the aims of the book of Proverbs. What is this, what is this supposed to do? There's three aims mentioned here. Verse 2 is aim 1. To know wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs is to help you know wisdom, help you know instruction. The word instruction is also translated discipline in other parts of the Bible. The way we learn wisdom is we receive discipline. We receive instruction. An outside force corrects us when we're on the wrong way. That's where wisdom comes from. And the Proverbs are going to do that. They're going to instruct us, discipline us, say, no, that was bad. This is better. So that's how we know wisdom and instructions. Um, Then, as a result, you also understand words of insight. Number two is verse three. The second goal of this book is that we receive instruction in wise dealing. So the Proverbs will give us instruction to deal with life wisely. And it specifically mentions three things. Righteousness, justice, and equity. This is... This is wise dealing, how to be righteous, how to be just, and how to be fair. Now, receive instruction, the goal of the Proverbs, this is so not popular today. We don't like receiving tradition. We don't like receiving instruction. We're all about breaking those things and starting it our way. That's, that's if anything else, that's the summation of the last generation of our nation and still going and getting worse <laughs> as we go. But the proverb says, sorry, we're old school. Lady Wisdom is a classical teacher, and you're going to receive instruction. She's not too into your self-expression. And the third aim is verse 4, to give prudence to the simple. Now, I understand a lot of people find the word prudence odd. That's too bad. It's a virtue. But um, you could also translate prudence shrewdness. It's this craftiness, this cunningness, and to know what to do in the right situation. Uh, So to know, to give prudence, shrewdness to the simple. We'll talk about the simple later because wisdom's going to, lady wisdom's going to talk to the simple. The simple are the ones that need tutors. They're us. (laughs) To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, you might say, oh, can we skip to Ecclesiastes? I'm not a youth. Two answers. First, In light of eternity, you are quite young. If your soul goes on forever and ever, I sure want to make sure that my soul gets a good start, that I get it set in the right direction. I want to learn God's wisdom while I'm young, and young in the light of eternity is everyone in this room. Some might be slightly less younger, but in light of eternity, it's like a blink of an eye. My snap went away. I can't do it right now. Um, But then verse 5 and 6 assures us that even those who are not young have lots to learn. Verse 5. So we've done the three goals of the book. Now verse 5 addresses the not young. It says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. You think you're wise? Have you really attained the wisdom of the almighty, eternal, creating father? (laughs) Yeah, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. So, you think you understand? Well, make sure you are guided so that you can guide others. For six, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. 
And concluding our introduction now is the source of wisdom. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, so that you guys are aware, when you're dealing with Hebrew poetry, which we're dealing with, the way we love poetry that rhymes and has meter, they love poetry that use synonyms or similar images. Here is a case where we need to point that out. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When it uses the word knowledge, this is just one of the many words that the Proverbs use to talk about wisdom. And you can see that in the next line. It uses the same, it uses the same meaning. Fools despise wisdom. They despise knowledge and instruction. So just so you guys know, these words are all interchangeable in the Proverbs, okay? Um, so it comes from the fear of the Lord. And we will return to that at the very end. All right. Let us um, look at the father's first address, his first lesson to his son. Now notice, we don't have the name of the father or the son, because Proverbs, while it's from Solomon, likely to his children, Proverbs wanted to be a universal instruction for all generations. So what we have here is father, we have mother, we have mentor, discipler. We have those God's given us in the church to lead the young. So here we are on either end of this. And I believe, brothers and sisters, I want to see us, as we go through Proverbs, gain the wisdom to be mentored and gain the wisdom to mentor others. We have people within reach. We have people in this fellowship that could use one-on-one father-son, mother-daughter like the Proverbs are approaching. Let us pray. Let us pray that God grants us wisdom to take up our part in what the Proverbs are doing. All right, verse 8. So each, um, each address, you're going to see this pattern. It's very simple. The father is going to say... My son, there's an address. It's going to immediately lead to his exhortation, what he wants the son to do. It will then, here's what parents and mentors are not always good at. It will then give them the reason or the motivation, the why for the exhortation. Don't cross the street without looking both ways. Why? Because I said so. That's, that's often what parents fall back on. Better is, because, do you see that squirrel right there with its leg kicking in the air? That's what happens. Look both ways. That is much more effective than because I said so. Here we have great mentorship in the Proverbs. There will always be a reason. Fourth will be the lesson itself. How do I want you to walk in my exhortation? There will be examples. And then it will end with a conclusion. So very simple. Like a beginning, a what, why, how, and a finishing statement. So we're going to look at that now. Verse 8 is the address. Hear my son, your father's instruction. So put down the Game Boy. Put down the television remote and your iPhone and hear your father's instruction. Now the exhortation. What? Um, Forsake not your mother's teaching. So what has your mother showed you? What is your father about to tell you? Listen, don't forsake this. Now, remember, we're so used to hearing people just tell us that. I'm like, okay, fine, but why? Well, actually, the Bible's really good at telling us why. So verse 9. For the teaching, the instruction, they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. If that doesn't mean anything to you, it's because this is a very old way of describing victory, power, and status in an ancient world. A garland is what a victor would wear in a game. And even, it's, even in Rome, they still wore the garlands when they would march in triumphant from their battles. If you follow these teachings, if you listen, it will be victory upon the crown of your head. And the pendant, the the necklace, jewelry is so cheap today. You go to Claire's and spend $5 and get 20 things, right? I don't know how I know that. But but back then, it was so much more pricey. You didn't have fake gold and stuff. It would be a symbol of status. 
to have been able to wear something like that. Your father's teaching, your mother's teaching is going to give you that kind of status. We can just turn that off if it's going to keep blinking. It's Okay. Um, Verse 10, now we get to the lesson itself. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. The devil does not make us do anything. There is always a consent in our actions. There's an invitation. You either say yes or you say no. First stage of sin is that there's a provocation put in our mind, a thought. Are we going to entertain it? It then turns into, I wonder what this would look like. And then it gets your passions going like, oh, that would be exciting if everyone thought I was amazing when I did that. You're on the path to consent when you actually act it out. But there's a moment when the sinner entices you, the sin entices you, don't cons- this is the first word. Like Eve talked to the serpent, she consented. Don't even consent. This is not a discussion. This is not a dialogue. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, remember that's the place of the dead. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. So throw your lot in among us. We will have one purse. Ooh, that's enticing to a young person. Easy money. I don't have to do it my old dad's way. I don't have to go to school and learn and work hard. There's an easy way to do life. Left to our own devices, yes! There's always an easy way that we prefer. That's what this sinful fallen being wants. It always wants ease and shortcuts. We need mentors. We need tutors. We need instructors who teach us that the hard way pays in the end because we don't naturally assume that that's the truth. Parents and mentors must expose the lies of the world. If you're parenting now, you must expose the lies of the world to your children. If you're teaching now, we must expose the lies of the world to our students. If there are younger Christians in your realm of influence, we must expose the lies of the world to younger believers. Because the lies of the world look true until we are shown otherwise. And the father is exposing this to his son. And in verse 15, he shows them what happens to them. He exposes the truth. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. That perhaps might be a way of saying they are addicted to doing wrong. And this is what happens with sin. We step in its path enough, your feet will be quick to run in its path. The path becomes too smooth, too easy to fall into. It's a rut, and it's hard to pull ourselves out. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. That's why, my son, it doesn't end well. Oh, it looks enticing. But they have laid... Well, this, our, our phrase in today's culture is, they're going to lay in the bed they made, right? They're going to nail the last nail in their own coffin. Verse 19 is the conclusion. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Adolescence is hard. Do you remember it? We're actually an adolescent culture. We have 40, 50, 60 year olds who are still in the same patterns as my 15, 16, 17, 18 year old students. 
Adolescence is the search, the quest for identity. And our culture is on this never-ending quest for identity. It's all we talk about. In fact, we've just called it identity politics. We are an adolescent society that doesn't know who we are. And because we're looking for identity, we're also looking for acceptance. That's the other part of adolescence, is acceptance. I just want to belong to someone. I want somebody to notice me. I want someone to love me. I want somebody to think I'm cool. I just want to know I have my gang, my posse. So what the father does at the very beginning here is he warns us against just throwing your lot in with the gang. And notice the first words of the gang. Uh, They say, come with us. This is verse 11. If they say, come with us. First, come. The implication here is that our choice to go away, our choice to go with sin and the sinners is never random. It's never coincidental. It's always a choice. To come with us means I am diverting from the way of wisdom I'm being shown, if they have to say come. Otherwise, if I'm already on the path, there's no need to invite me. Come means there's an enticement, there's a turning away, and there's an intentional moment there. But then, come with us. You see that language there? Oh, we got a gang. We got a support network. We're cool. We have a thousand, ten thousand likes on our last shindig we did. Everyone loves us. Everyone's talking about us. You want to feel like you matter? You want to feel like you belong? You want to be with your kooky parents or your kooky church authorities? Or do you want to be with us? Because we're, we're where it's at. People notice it. And look, look, by the way, at the plunder in our houses. This is the high life right here. Come with us. Because sin always wants participation. It always wants others to join in. It helps them feel like, oh, this is normal. This isn't bad. And we, when we have an adolescent soul, we're searching for who am I, and we're trying to find the answer to who am I through the people I associate with, or through acceptance, whether it's from your boss, or your spouse, or your neighbor, or the world, or your pastor, or whoever you think's cool, whatever it is. Searching for acceptance is an adolescent attitude that's searching for an answer to who am I. And the Father warns severely against this. Here's the warning. The way we gain acceptance is precisely the way you have to maintain your acceptance. So if the, if the son is going to be accepted with these people because he is the getaway car on their mission, he has to always be part of robbing the bank. He always has to be the getaway car or increase his status and be the one holding the gun next or the one grabbing the money. This is how acceptance works. Acceptance is always conditional. We only are accepted when we meet the demands of the crew, of the gang. And that's a trap. That does not answer who you are. You are continually conforming yourself to their expectations. Belonging is what Christ is calling us to. Belonging is what the family of God and our nuclear families and our homes is meant to give. It's meant to give people a sense of, these are the ones who love me unconditionally. This is where I belong, whether I succeed or fail. That's belonging. We do not want to have adolescent souls searching still endlessly for who am I and who accepts me. We want to know that we are the people of Christ, and we, are, we, we belong in the fellowship and family of Christ. We then come to Lady Wisdom's introduction in verse 20. She's the tutor. She now moves in. So you know what your, you know what your authorities are teaching you? Now the tutor is going to say, let me help you out. I'm going to be right there alongside you if you accept your tutor. You don't have to accept your tutor. Some people are going to be proud and say, I don't need a tutor. Some people are going to recognize it wouldn't hurt to be counseled in my journey. So verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Wisdom is so accessible, but so ignored by the masses. Verse 22, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? 
How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you, oh, because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, when your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. (laughs) Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge. And here she goes back to verse 7. And did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore they will eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. So Lady Wisdom, um, in verse 29, 28 They will call me, but I will not answer. Might seem kind of harsh. But remember, in verse 22, she just said, how long will I call to you? They're not answering her. So there's going to be a day when she won't answer them. You'll be so far on the path. It's, I gave, I I warned you. Bye. That's, that's, you see the parallel there. She, of course, then hearkens back to um, chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, beginning of wisdom. Um, but notice what she's also doing here and what the father's doing is that there's a, there's a framework here. The be, the, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. And then verse 29, because they did not fear the Lord. In between is this warning about the sinners who are going to go do things their way. And then in the end, they're going to fall like in this disaster. The storm's going to take them and no one's going to be there to rescue them. What's the conclusion then? Between our tutor and our mentor, we're being taught that if we do not fear the Lord, then there will be nothing but my impulses and my feelings and my yearnings for identity and acknowledgement and acceptance from the crowd to guide my path. And in the end, when the storm does come and it all comes crashing down, there's nothing there to hold me up. There's nothing there to save me. So there's a framework warning us that the fear of the Lord is important because without the fear of the Lord, there is no foundation to life. She addresses the simple. I told you we come back to that word. It was in verse 4 to give prudence to the simple. Now wisdom, lady wisdom, is tutoring in verse 22, the simple. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Simple refers to... um, the uncommitted. One commentator actually just translates it, the uncommitted. That's what simple is. The simple are those who want to leave their options open. They want to leave their minds open. They don't want to receive instruction. They don't want to listen to mentors because that closes your options off. They want to be their own guides. They want to experience. They want to live and learn. That's the simple. That's the uncommitted. Or, I loved this, Peter Panism. Peter Pan is just the happy-go-lucky youth who never grows up. He's never committed to anything. He does whatever he pleases. Peter Panism is the pandemic spiritually of this nation. We have a country full of Peter Pans who reject Lady Wendy's counsel. That's what she means by the simple ones. We do not want a Peter Pan faith. Oh, I just kind of pray when I feel like it. Or I just kind of go to whatever church I feel like. Okay, you're going to visit things and you're going to pray when you feel like it. True. But you need to have a prayer structure in your life. A commitment to prayer. You need to have a commitment to a family. You need to have a commitment to the scriptures. We cannot be Peter Pans and succeed in God's kingdom. So she warns us against Peter Panism. Spontaneous, exciting, but never growing up. So, why do we need wisdom? Why should we listen to this tutor, Lady Wisdom? First reason, 
because we are Peter Pan's lost boys without her. No guidance in life. Reckless and just doing whatever. No contribution. I think I've said enough that we already live in this adolescent Peter Pan society. We're all lost boys in this nation without the tutorship of Lady Wisdom and Christ. Everyone, here's, here's how we see it. Everyone is ordering reality around their desired identity. Did you hear that? Everyone is ordering reality around their desired identity. That's how you explain a lot of the craziness in our world right now. I want to be this, so let's reshape reality to match it. This is why we need the tutorship of Lady Wisdom, because wisdom, that's not the grain of God's universe. Reality exists as it is, whether I like it or not. It's up to me to shape my identity to God's reality. That's wisdom, and that's moving with the grain of God's world. That's the first reason we need wisdom. The second reason we need Lady Wisdom as our tutor is because wisdom actually leads us back to the Garden of Eden, which in the New Testament is called the kingdom of God. Wisdom leads us back to Eden, the kingdom of God. And here's how the Bible explains this. I never knew this until studying for our series on Proverbs. Never Never, ever saw this. Um, Solomon is actually in the Bible presented as a new Adam. Here's how. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, do you know where he's crowned king? He's crowned king at Gihon, or Gihon. What is that? Well, do you remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 13, there were four rivers that flowed out of Eden? The Tigris, the Euphrates, and the Gihon. What is, what's the Bible trying to tell us? Here he's being crowned as the ruler. He's trying to bring the people of God back to his kingdom, back to his garden. Second, we see that Solomon is charged to, this is David's words in 1 Kings chapter 2, when, Sol, when David's on his deathbed, he brings Solomon and he charges him to keep the law of God. Keep the law of God. The word keep the law of God, keep, is the same word that God gives to Adam and Eve in their job in the garden. Keep and guard the garden. So as Solomon was to keep the law, which is what structures the flourishing Edenic life in his people, Adam and Eve were to keep the garden as well. So, so Solomon is to keep, there to keep. And then third, um, Solomon exercised dominion over creation just like Adam and Eve were commissioned to have dominion over creation. You might remember Genesis 1, verse 28. Therefore God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, be multiplied, subdue the earth and fill it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts on the earth, and everything that creeps and crawls on the ground. Well, Solomon, in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, says he spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. I've written like seven in my life. I used to be, I went to a worship school, so I've done that. <laughs> Far cry of the thousand. He spoke of the trees and from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of the beasts and the birds and the reptiles and of the fish. First Kings represents Solomon as someone who had mastery knowledge-wise over the creation. He was fulfilling this dominion on earth over the creation. He knew about it. He knew how it worked. And by naming things and talking about what they mean, he's also mirroring what Adam did in Genesis 2, 19 and 20, when it says that God brought the animals to Adam and he named them. Solomon's able to name the parts of creation. He's able to talk and dialogue and lecture about them. And the next verse talks about how nations came to hear his wisdom. Solomon is the new Adam. However, it didn't end well for him. Adam fell, and he joined. Rather than being able to restore creation, Solomon falls with Adam into sin. And so that leaves us hanging, it leaves us waiting, it leaves us yearning for, it looked like Solomon's kingdom was going to be the kingdom of God on earth, but it fails. But then the New Testament comes, and the New Testament says good news, the gospel of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, calls Christ 
the new Adam. For, and we, we did this in our prayer creed, for as all died in Adam, so all were made alive in Christ. The intentional contrast. Here's the new and the final Adam. So that in Christ, the Garden of Eden flourishes, which is why Paul calls our virtues the fruits of the Spirit. Because we are flourishing, blossoming Edens. Edens. Edenic people, the kingdom of God coming to pass in his people. Um, Christ, um, Christ, in Christ creation finds order. In Christ, we see the enfleshment, the embodiment of wisdom. The tutorship of Lady Wisdom becomes a living being in Christ. And he teaches us and shows us what Lady Wisdom was saying. He shows us how to live that. And in Christ, we find the way back to Eden in the garden and the kingdom of God. Of course, Romans, uh, no, uh, Revelation ends with images from the Garden of Eden brought to the end to say, look, in Christ we come back. The kingdom of God is the restoration of all things. Third reason we need Lady Wisdom's tutorship is that rules alone cannot rule our lives. Rules alone cannot rule our lives. Because rules are too simple. Life is too complex for rules. There's so many gaps in between rules. So many loopholes. Wisdom shows us what to do moment by moment when rules don't reach those parts of life. Wisdom also tells us how to keep rules. Because I can keep rules ugly. But wisdom shows us how to do it beautifully. How to do it well. How to do it for the love of neighbor and love of God. And most importantly... Rules cannot bring you into relationship with the God of the universe. But wisdom can. So we need the tutorship of Lady Wisdom to cultivate the kingdom of God in us so that we're not lost boys and girls and so that we have a relationship with God. So how do we attain this wisdom? And of course, this the whole journey is about how do you attain wisdom, but the very first, what we see first in this opening of Proverbs, it gives us two very specific ways to attain this wisdom. The first is through the fear of the Lord. Through the fear of the Lord. Now, that does not mean that we're afraid of God. Rather, that means that we have this reverence for him. And specifically, two ways. We reverence God two ways. We reverence the fact that that he is the creator of our lives, so we therefore shape our lives to reflect what he's created. That's the fear of the Lord. If I fear, if I respect, if I reverence him as the creator, I'm not going to go about recreating reality the way I want it. I'm going to submit myself to the way he's made things. That's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord, first. Second, it also means to have this reverence uh, this respect, this acknowledgement that, yes, he's the creator of our lives, but he's also the judge of our lives. If these young men in Proverbs chapter 1 recognized that God was the judge of their lives, do you think that they would go ripping people off and enticing people and stealing their goods and killing and hurting and, and leading other, misleading others astray? Do you think they would be doing that if they really thought and respected that God was the judge and they're going to stand before him? Of course not. The reason people sin and live the way they do and live as fools is because they have absolutely zero acknowledgement that God will one day be their judge. It's the only reason you do that. If you truly had reverence for his judgments, you would tremble at every decision you have to make in life. This is what the fear of the Lord means. So my son, fear the Lord. Lady Wisdom, fear the Lord because you saw what happened to them. They didn't fear him and their end was chaos and no one was there to help them. So we live, we attain wisdom through the fear of the Lord. And most importantly, you see that fear of the Lord implies that wisdom isn't something you just check off. Oh, great, the how-to book, how to master life. Did that, did that, did that. No, wisdom is a relationship with God. To fear him is to be, is to know him. And wisdom is attained by knowing God. Not about God, knowing God. God. So we attain wisdom through the fear of the Lord. Second and finally, we attain wisdom through living a David-like relationship with God. 
a David-like relationship with God. You know what David's known as? The man after God's own heart. Verse 1, it's, 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 it could be passed quickly as an introduction, but it seems to be wisdom in the first verse. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Son of David, king of Israel. In other words, Solomon was begotten by David. So wisdom is begotten by being a man or woman after God's own heart. The Psalms, or put it this way, the Psalms, David's Psalms, beget Solomon's wisdom. Prayer and praise begets wisdom and understanding. Intimacy and devotion begets insight and discretion. So we attain wisdom through a David-like relationship with God. I'm so glad we went through many parts of the Psalms and are still at our prayer service going through Psalms every week because the Psalms are the entryway. And fittingly, you see it right there, right? Your left page, it says Psalms 150. Psalms begets the Proverbs. Brothers and sisters, our relationship with Christ, that's how we grow in wisdom. It's not some external thing we put on. It's an internal thing that changes us. And we walk, therefore, out of. So we, ha- we develop and cultivate prayer and praise as our language and as part of who we are. And then we get to know Lady Wisdom. Because if you haven't noticed, her language sounds very much like Christ's language. He is the enfleshment and embodiment of Lady Wisdom's words. Christ invites us to come. He will put his spirit in us. He will change us. He will set us on his path. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's be, in the New Testament era, let's be more specific. The fear of Jesus Christ as creator of all and judge of all is the beginning of wisdom. Let us pray. Eternal and creating God, the source of all wisdom, As was for Christ, may your spirit rest upon us.